Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Oh, I'm Tiffany. What happened? Uh, I'm <laughs> sick. <laughs> sick with what? Flu-like symptoms. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to call it the flu, but cough, cold, sneezing, stuffy nose. No et fever, etc. Et not throwing no up. No fever, no fever yet. Good. Don't say yet. Yeah, I apologize for the way I sound right now, everyone. Sorry. This is the thing. I always feel like when I talk about illness that I curse myself. I'm just gonna go ahead and take a chance. I would like to say, I haven't been sick in so long that I can barely remember the last time I was ill. See, but now that I said it, I'm gonna get sick. You know what, Katie? I kind of remember a podcast not very long ago. And you were sick. That's true. But that was so <laughs> minor. It didn't even like slow me down. Well, so is this. This is also very minor. Yeah. Well, I, maybe it just gives you a mystique. Let's pretend it does. Yes. I've got my Kathleen Turner voice on today. Yes. So of course, this is a Bittersweet Life podcast for expats, former expats and travelers. And today we've decided that we're going to read some of your emails, which is something we've never done, surprisingly. I can't believe it. Like when I was looking through all the different emails and picking just a few that we could read today, I was thinking, why have we never done this? Well, there's no time like the present. Yeah, why not? So we figured we would start with one of our most recent requests, which was talking about traveling with impractical things. We got several emails about it, but one in particular that I really liked. Do you want to read it? Yes, this comes from a listener who would prefer to remain anonymous. I'm just assuming it's a she, but of course I have no idea. It is a she. I know I it know who she. it is. So, yes. All right. <laughs> My mother must have been a Boy Scout in a previous life. She is always prepared. On a trip to Maui with friends, she brought Lysol for the hotel room and garbage bags for the car. When she takes fruit to the hotel rooms of friends visiting from Japan, she includes plastic knives, napkins, and paper plates. Not surprisingly, mom does not believe in packing light. When she and dad came to Seattle to witness my graduation from UW, dad complained bitterly about the weight of her suitcase, especially since she had to drag, he had to drag it up one flight of stairs to get from the street to the entrance of the B&B and up another set of stairs once inside the B&B. When dad closed the door of their room, he demanded to know what she had brought that was so damned heavy. Without a word, Mom opened her suitcase to reveal a full-sized iron and a 25-foot-long orange indoor-outdoor <laughs> extension cord. Thank goodness she couldn't pack an ironing board. 25 <laughs> years later, we haven't let her forget it. I love that. The one missing thing from that story is why a 25-feet extension cord? An indoor-outdoor. Like, why did it have to be like an indoor and an outdoor cord? <laughs> What I love about this email is her narrative style. She really like puts you there. Like you can really imagine it. It's brilliant. Did we get any from Twitter that you wanted to say? We did get a uh, response on Twitter as well from Tamara or Tamara. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. She says, I brought my printer when I studied in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best part. This is the best part. I still wanted to feel like a good packer, so I stuffed underwear inside. <laughs> right, very nice. <laughs> but then she adds, 
It was unnecessary, as the uni had places to print, and I quickly learned A4 paper is dif- a different dimension after two paper jams. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I, I don't know what kind of paper they use in New Zealand, but in Italy anyway, we do not use the same size paper as you use in the States. It's just a little bit longer. So that would have been so frustrating to lug that thing all the way over and then not even be able to use it. Yeah, I think... It's not as impractical as a printer because, come on, Tamara, 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 that's pretty impractical, but I love it. Uh, but I mean, I brought a hair dryer and a hair straightener to Italy when I moved there, both of which, maybe the hair dryer worked, but both of which weren't compatible. No, they. I wish you had asked me first. I would have said, don't bring them because the voltage is different. Yeah, the voltage is different. And I don't know why I didn't think of that. And then, of course, me being the thrifty chap that I am I was thinking well I don't want to just leave a perfectly good hair dryer and straightener here so of course I had to pack it back home of course of course not that it was as big of a printer I hope she left the printer behind if she moved on but oh hang on I just thought of something that I I didn't exactly pack with me on a trip but I bought when I was on a trip so I had a lug back and then I moved it in several moves okay so it was a old-fashioned pasta maker. You know those like hand crank? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I bought one of those. I bought one of those on a trip to Italy in 1997. Okay, I was 19 at the time. Or 20. No, I was 20. I thought, oh, I'm going to totally make pasta. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even like to cook. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like I'm going to totally make pasta when I go back home. So I bought this pasta maker. It was really heavy. I brought it back home on the airplane to Boston where I was living at the time. I moved a couple of times while I was living in Boston, bringing it with me each time. Then I moved to Montreal. I brought it with me to Montreal. Then I moved back to Boston, brought it back with me to Boston. And do you know when I finally got rid of that pasta maker? No. When I moved to Italy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Never having used it, not one time. Wow. Now, Mike Strong, whom some of you may remember from our episode Exchange, number 133, he sounds like a pretty practical person because remember the question was, what is the most impractical thing you've ever taken with you on a trip? He says, a suitcase that I had to check. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, you know, in a way, that is pretty impractical. If you can get away with not having to check anything these days... It's just so much better. It is so much better, but I, I never can manage that, not unless it's like a weekend trip. No. Well, you've always been a heavy packer. That comes with your uh, desire for style, <laughs> desire for, to look good wherever you go. <sighs> that desire went out the window and had a baby, let me tell you. Yeah, you're just like, screw it. <laughs> as long as I'm clothed, it's good. <laughs> well, um, okay. So are there any more? Should, or should we leave that one behind and move on to another topic? One more Twitter one. It, it wasn't a personal story. It was about someone else. Natalie, who's someone that I actually know in real life, uh, she says, Umberto Eco brought a salmon. Oh, yeah. Pretty random. Packed a salmon. I love that. Mm -hmm. And gross, by the way. Can you imagine packing a salmon and then eating it on the other side? No, I can't imagine that. I don't know why that sounds so gross. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode is going to be a little bit of a grab bag because, like I said, we're jumping around from a whole bunch of different emails that we got. So the topics are going to be sort of random. I want to read an email, a couple emails that are about moving. Yeah. If that sounds good to you. Well, moving is a big part of being an expat. It's a huge part of being an expat. 
And as you know, Derek and I have moved, I don't even know how many times in the last however long we've known each other. Something like every year, pretty much. That's hard. Um, and we have another move kind of right around the corner. It looks like we're going to be moving again in April because our lease is up and our landlord is refusing to just extend it for a few months. Ugh, and That's horrible. Yeah, I know. And while we figure out if we want to stay in this part of the city or what's going to happen next, so we're going to have to move somewhere. Ugh. And uh, he nicely suggested that maybe we should ask my parents to move in uh, with them and then for a while, <laughs> to which I responded, and no offense, Mom, who I know listens, I said, I cannot be a 40-year-old adult and move back in with my parents. I just can't do it. I just emotionally, mentally cannot take that step. <laughs> so, so what are you saying? What are you saying about me who I moved in with my in-laws for five months? Well, we all know what happened there, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I guess we do. I guess we <laughs> the do. The mental torture and degeneration <laughs> of your soul during that period of time. <laughs> now that's in-laws, which anyone could argue is a little bit harder because it's not your family. At least with your family, you sort of have a certain amount of ritual and tradition in how you interact with each other. <laughs> of course, if you live with your parents, I suppose there's the challenge of they're your parents. So most of the time you live together, they were parenting you. And so that could be different also. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's different in Italy than to the United States. There's a bigger stigma to being an adult and living with your parents in the United States than there is there. So Absolutely. Not Absolutely. that I really care about that. So, uh, so let's hear some of these emails. Okay. So this is from Christy. I'm in the process. And by the way, she wrote this in August. <laughs> <laughs> so Christy's currently not in the process, but I'm going to read it as she wrote it. I was in the process of a move in August too, so, right. and I feel like it was yesterday, so she might feel like it was yesterday too. She might still be reeling. And I should also mention that Christy spends a lot of time excavating over in Italy. Ooh. So she's constantly on the move back and forth, back and forth. But she says, I'm in the process of packing up my apartment to move into a new rental house, catching up on podcasts, and the moving episode couldn't have been more perfectly timed. I'm still reeling from my annual return from excavating in Italy, where I was settled into an apartment for two months with a routine and work and a tight-knit group of colleagues. Returning to the States and quote-unquote real life is always the hardest part of my year. It is only made palatable by the knowledge that I can go back in 10 months, which I realize means I'm a very fortunate woman. I truly hate the apartment that I am leaving. It's tiny, it's in an unpleasant, somewhat removed neighborhood, it's overpriced, no character, nothing good within walking distance, and I love the place that I'm moving into. It's full of charm and the neighborhood will be great, and I've got lovely friends up the same block. But something about the moving process just makes me want to freeze up. Maybe I have just maxed out on transitions for the summer. There is something about leaving a space for the last time. I think this has come up in your podcast even before this episode. Like, even leaving a hotel room is often a wistful experience for me. That last look before you shut the door forever is so bittersweet, regardless of how much you do or don't care for the place. Is it the thirst for experiences, the bug that encourages us to travel in the first place, that makes saying goodbye and closing the door so hard? Fear of missing out on something? It should be the opposite, right? Is it just good old-fashioned sentimentality? I just know that I will shut the door on this apartment tomorrow only to open it again immediately for one last lingering look. And I don't understand why. I can so relate to all of that. Yeah, we did talk about that last lingering look at the hotel. Yeah, or at the apartment. But I think her email is particularly interesting because 
it's a place that she hates. Yeah. She's leaving a place that she hated living in behind. And it still has that weight. Well, yeah, I had that same experience in Montreal. I didn't hate the apartment, but I hated living in that city. Not because the, I don't like the city, just it was a bad time in my life. And I was not happy in my time there. And I really liked the apartment, but I was so happy to be leaving. I was so happy that that period of my life was over. And yet I was sad when I left. I think it's nostalgia and sentimentality. I mean, we always talk about time, but is it something about this time is over now? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that's where the sentimentality comes from. Which is also interesting because if you hated living in Montreal and it was a bad period of time in life, you would almost feel like you should be thrilled. It's over. I was thrilled and I've never been back. (laughs) But nevertheless, I just, the end of a chapter is always bittersweet, like she says. A word that comes up a lot for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's, I can't explain it either. I just get it though. You know that time in your life is over and you'll never be back there again. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when high school ends and like you hate half the people, but you're still kind of sad that you're never going to be all together again. Yeah. We've probably talked about it before, but we used to have that same feeling when we used to do theater together. Yes. Where you're doing the play on the very last night and the whole play, this is what's going through an actor's head, by the way. They're thinking, this is the last time I'm going to say that line. Yeah. That was the last time I did that dance move. The whole way through the play. This is the last time Tiffany and I are going to be on the stage together doing this particular thing. Sentimental people and nostalgic people think that. I don't think everyone thinks that. We think that. I remember my very first play. I may have told this story on the podcast before, and if I have, I apologize. But I remember my very, very first play that I ever did. It was Bye Bye Birdie at the Village Theater in Issaquah, Washington. And I was eight years old, and I was in the chorus. And it was probably one of the happiest times in my entire childhood. One of the happiest times in my life, really. It was just such an exciting moment for me because I was discovering this new world of performing. It was just an amazing time. And I loved every second of it. Every second of rehearsal, every second of performing, getting ready, whatever. And I remember being backstage on the very last night of the show. And I was so sad because the show ran for, you know, like a month or something, which is a long time, first of all, in the life of an eight-year-old. A month is a long time. And it wasn't like when you do a school play and there's like two shows and it's over. You know, you've got like 30 performances or something. And... I remember the last night and one of the girls in the show who was quite a bit older than me, she was probably only about 12, but to me, you know, she was like a big person. She took off her sweater that was part of her costume, which I guess she didn't like. And she said, this is the very last time I never have to wear this sweater ever, ever again. And she threw it on the ground. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that doesn't make you sad. Like, that just makes me so sad to think that I'm never going to wear this costume again. And I realized then that not everybody is sentimental like I am. Yeah. And let me ask you another question. Did you feel at all sorry for the sweater? Um, I don't know if I would take it that far. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean, though, where you're like, that sweater's like, come on. No, I know the sweater didn't actually say come on. (laughs) But I mean, that's where, that's the level to where my sentimentality 
sometimes goes. Yeah, you were like, you're beyond. I mean, I remember you telling me about that Ikea commercial. Yeah, the lamp. <laughs> Where you're like, hell, it's a lamp. It's a lamp. It's and the new lamp, one is people. much better. Yeah. But it's sort of like this over-sympathy even for inanimate objects. It's sort of like why you feel that pang when you're Christmas tree shopping. There's that one hideous tree. <laughs> you know? That one hideous tree that you shouldn't buy. It looks terrible, but you also have that pang where you're like, it's its only shot to be a Christmas tree. It got cut down for this reason. And it's so ridiculous. And maybe it's a little bit better because it's a living thing, yeah. right? That was chopped down. Yeah. And maybe they should have passed that one over. But at the same point, it's not like a tree is sitting there in the forest being like, someday I'm going to be a Christmas tree. And then it gets left on the lot and it's broken hearted can't go there you that's a slippery slope katie <laughs> should i read another one to yes. get myself out of this over sentimental thing okay this is from Lori lee she wrote this in november so it's a little more recent but it also is about moving and she says i was listening to the values podcast a few weeks ago it was awesome and you guys posed a question i immediately felt like i could answer which was something like does moving get easier with each subsequent move I've moved 25 times, give or take, and I can safely say no. Leaving your friends, family, pets, home, routines, rituals, and memories does not ever get easier. But with each subsequent move, you do get better at dealing with the emotions, making fewer mistakes, which in turn makes the move less terrible, and get better at establishing new rituals and making new memories. Hmm. I've seen so many people move overseas for the first time and have a terrible move made worse by committing preventable mistakes, such as insisting on keeping your previous cell phone number, which can rack up a $600 roaming bill. I could talk or write for hours on preventable offenses new expats make when they're moving abroad for the first time. It's sad because sometimes it's bad enough that they don't want to even travel anymore. The second call to action you guys made was for any self-diagnosed expat addicts. I've done 15 plus expat assignments, and after recently moving to the U.S., It was only three months before I was looking to move overseas to work again. I didn't end up going anywhere. Fifteen months later, I'm still in California. It's probably safe to say, though, that I fit in the addict category. However, in my line of work, taking an expat assignment usually constitutes a career improvement. So I wouldn't classify myself as an addict since moving abroad improves my quality of life and doesn't detriment it. So expat life enthusiast, maybe? That's Lori. Lori Lee. I'm impressed and a little bit jealous. I would love the idea of living in 15 different countries. That would be so cool. Well, we don't know if it was 15 different countries or if it was just 15 different moves. No, she said 25 different moves and 15 different expat assignments, I think. Oh, that's true. That's true. 15 plus. Yeah. So uh, she's been around. She's a jet setter for sure. I mean, it makes me think two things. One, we should interview her to find out what expat mistakes people are constantly making that she's seeing. Yeah. And also to get some insight into the the serial expat. Yeah. Yeah. And two, it's, it comes back to that question of home, doesn't it? Right. If you're constantly moving. It sounds like she's able to put down rituals wherever she goes. But then I'd also be curious to know what those rituals are. Yeah. Well, like, how, what do you do to make anywhere feel like home? So Lori Lee... If you're listening, contact us again so we can interview you. Yeah. Or send us another email that answers all those questions. 
and make it long. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want the book on my desk first thing tomorrow morning of all the mistakes that people make. <laughs> but yeah, so she's not claiming to be an addict because I guess that's another thing too is like there's the people who move just because they can't stop moving and then there's the people who move because it's good for work. Right. And I can't put myself in that category. Usually if I move, it's not good for work. I take a step back and <laughs> start again, <laughs> you know. And then I come back and I'm like, can I recover the career I left behind? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Or maybe there's something better waiting for you that you didn't even imagine. Do you have another one on your side you want to read? I do. I do. I have um, an email here from Amanda who sent us her bucket list goals uh, when we did the, the goals episodes. She says, since sending you my bucket list, I'm happy to report that I completed a seriously intense 20K and will be training for a 30K soon, working my way to that 50K. But first, I, I have a more immediate goal in front of me, walking the Cam Camino de Santiago this May, like in three months. I'd been contemplating traveling, whether for the Camino or not, for about two years now. I had all the same questions and worries that a lot of people have. How do I fit travel into my busy life? How do I afford it? Do I need someone to go with me? In the last year, I seem to be getting all kinds of signs, probably more self-created than mystical in nature, that I should indeed travel. I should create the opportunity as soon as it was possible, and I shouldn't be afraid to do it by myself. Listening to the podcast really demystified a lot of the idea of traveling abroad and made clear the value in doing so. And since setting my intention to spend May on the Camino, my friend decided to fit travel into her life, and we will spend June together traveling around. Katie and Tiffany, you are inspiring people, and thank you for sharing your personal journey around and your thoughts and questions about what is in your near future, about your opportunities in Seattle versus possible travel and expatriation adventures. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You know, emails like her well, they both impress me and, by the way, are like one of the main reasons why I actually, on the days when you and I are like, this is so much work. You know? <laughs> why are we doing this? Emails like hers make me go, oh, yeah, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. We're trying to form a community where we encourage each other to be bolder and kind of go after the dreams that we have. But I'm also, every time somebody goes, I decided that I can't put off travel and I'm, I can travel alone, I realize that I still have that question huh. and I know we've talked about it that I don't know that I can <sighs> you know I don't know that I can go somewhere alone and I don't know how you ever fix that I guess you just do it but I just can't imagine well maybe start small start small like what would be small I go to Vancouver go to Vancouver for the weekend yeah or go somewhere you've never been that has a lot of stuff to see. For me, when I travel alone, if I had to go to some to go somewhere where there wasn't anything to do, it would be harder. But if you're going somewhere like London or New York City or somewhere where there's a lot of stuff to see and you can kind of fill your day with lots of adventures, you don't even notice that you're alone. And the amazing thing about traveling alone, which you don't really realize until you're actually doing it, is that you don't have to ask anyone else what they feel like doing that day. <laughs> you just do what you want to do. And let me tell you, it's awesome. It's so great. You know, you go to the museum, you're bored after half an hour, you leave. 
or you go to a museum and you're obsessed with it and you want to stay five hours, you stay five hours. It's awesome. You don't have to be like, oh, well, I really wanted a sit-down meal and you wanted to get fast food. One of us has to compromise. There's no compromising. You just do what you want to do. One day you don't feel like doing anything. You don't feel like leaving your hotel room. No problem. I could see that, but I've also been in situations like that where I didn't do very well. I was just sort of morose. In travel situations or in other life? Well, in my experiences, because I haven't really traveled very much alone, if at all, it's more I'm on a temporary assignment somewhere. I did a temporary assignment in New York City with Radiolab. And while the working day was great, I found that in my free time, I was sort of like depressed, wandering about, not knowing where to eat, not knowing what to do. I know you're not like a big planner. That would be probably a problem for you, at least in the beginning, if it's your first time. You would need to really plan out your trip or have someone do it for you. I would totally do it for you. Would you? Oh, yeah. I love doing that. I mean, as long as it's not like six weeks and a weekend I can handle. (laughs) And if it's somewhere that I've been, then it's much better. (laughs) But you need to know where you're going to go to eat if you're someone who gets stressed about that kind of thing. And you need to have a couple of things to do every day. And you can change that. You could cancel, you can switch it around, but you do need to have some kind of plan if you're not used to it. And if it's something that you feel like would upset you, stress you out, and you might not get out of bed and that would make you depressed. So you need to have a plan, but I think that, uh, I think that you would like it once you tried it. When you travel alone, do you ever find that you are lonely? Yes. Let me just first say that my, what I believe was my first trip on my own. I'm not positive on this, but I think my very first trip alone was literally two weeks after a really, really brutal breakup. That was hard. I was very lonely and I was very even depressed, but I had planned the trip before the breakup and it was very important to me to go. And so there was no way I was going to cancel. And I think it was really good for me. I think that it helped me in that situation. To remember, there was a world outside that person that I had broken up with, let's say, who had broken up with me, because that's actually what happened. (laughs) You know, I think it's like, you know, those moments when you are going through something really hard, you can kind of ignore it and pretend it's not happening, or you can really like live it and, and like own it and be like, oh my God, I'm so upset right now. And I'm just going to experience it. And that's better for you mm-hmm. than just being like ice cream, ice cream, like Netflix, <laughs> you know, and just, just like trying to drown it out. And I think travel is one of the things that does that to you. While it can distract you, which is good, it also, especially if you're alone, you know, it forces you to focus on what you're going through. And I think anytime you're alone like that, whether you're going through a breakup or anything that's going on in your life, I think it's good to be alone sometimes so you have the space to work through that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Just an idea. No, it's great. I love what Amanda says. She seemed to be getting all kinds of signs. Maybe they were more self-created than mystical. And I love that idea because I always felt that whenever I'm in a situation where a big decision needs to be made, I always feel like I get signs. And I never know if I'm just looking for the signs because I know deep down what it is that I want to do. So I'm looking for the signs that will confirm that 
or whether they're actual signs. I just love that idea. And I almost think that that is a whole episode like waiting to be made on signs. So we should do an episode on signs. Yeah. Because I, I want, so. I, right now I want to ask you like to give an example. I could definitely give you some examples, but let's put it off. Let's, let's do a whole episode on it. Okay, hang on. I'm writing it down so I don't forget. Signs. I'm writing it with my left hand because I'm holding my microphone with the right one. <laughs> hey, that's actually legible. I can read that. Signs. Yeah, I guess. And in the meantime, if you have experiences where you saw signs that encourage you to do something, you could send them in ahead of time. Yeah, we could talk about it on the episode. That would be cool. So bittersweetlife at mail.com, M-A-I-L, or Twitter at bittersweetpod, or Facebook, which is facebook.com slash bittersweetlifepodcast. All of those places, send us the signs that you received in your life that told you what to do, mystical or uh, creative. All right, so let's end with one shorter thought that was part of a larger email. But I'm sorry, Lewis, I'm only going to read this one shorter thought. I think this was also coming out of the goals episode. He says, my dream was always to visit every continent. So far, I've only seen Europe sparingly and, of course, North America. I am a past middle-aged person with kids and so many responsibilities that it will be years, maybe a decade or two, before I can really travel like that. And now, when I think about keeping that promise to myself, it sort of depresses me. I imagine being a lonesome, creaky 70-year-old backpacking the Andes, hoping that the hostel is near a diner that serves dinner at 4 p.m. <laughs> and I wonder if there can't be a statute of limitations on bucket lists, if there's no shame in scaling your goals back or admitting that you're not the same person who dreamed of those things. Wow. I love that because I think that it's very easy to start, like as the years tick by, start to think, oh, well, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And I mean, let's face it, some things physically just aren't going to happen, right? If you're 50 years old and your dream has always been to uh, be a prima ballerina, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but I don't think traveling is one of those things. I mean, of course, there are some physical ailments that are going to stop you from traveling, or at least they're going to make it really hard. But I think most people, if they want to travel enough, can find a way to make it happen. Even if they have kids, even if they have short of, they are short of funds, there are ways to make things happen if it's enough of a goal. You know, I was doing a tour a couple of years ago. My, my father had just had a heart attack and he was going to have surgery and it was, I couldn't get a flight out until the next day. And so... I went into work and I was doing a tour in the Vatican museums and I was really kind of upset and I mentioned it to the group. I said, oh, you know my dad, he's going to have a quadruple bypass surgery. So I'm a little worried about him. And there was this man on the tour who was, he had to be 80. And I think he was with his kids or his grandkids, I'm not even sure. And he came up to me and he said, you know, I just have to tell you that I had quadruple bypass surgery last year and I have never been healthier. <laughs> And he was just so like energetic and, you know, he wasn't in a wheelchair. He was, that's a seriously intense tour. It's like three hours on your feet in a crowded museum, getting tons of information jammed into your head. And he kept up and he was great. So that gave me a lot of hope, A, for my dad and B, for anyone who wants to travel all the way through their life or at any time in life. I think that 
don't give up. Yeah, and I think also keep in mind that eating at four o'clock is not the worst thing in the world. If you can find a place that's open, I used to go in Italy, I used to go eat early all the time just so I knew I could get a table. <laughs> yeah, but not at four, Katie, come on. Well, at five. <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts. But that's I'm just nuts. saying there I can't are imagine upsides. dinner at five. And yes, there are upsides. It's going to be harder in a smaller town to find a place to eat at 4 p.m. But if you're in a big city, not a problem. So start when you're younger, the first moment you can burst free from your home and responsibilities, go to the places where it's harder to eat at 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> go to the places where it's physically hard to be. Go to places with lots of steps. Right, yeah. When you're young. Right, when you're young enough. And I would also say, I think that one of the biggest things that I'm learning as over the course of my life is the most important thing to maintain is a sense of curiosity, a search for wonder, and an ongoing education, wanting to learn more. I think as long as that sense of curiosity is there, the will to do things is there. The better thing is in this waiting period is don't let that die. Keep this desire to learn more about other places. Start dreaming about where you might want to go and you'll go. I'm preaching that to myself as well because I think we all get into... I know I do, into ruts where you think I'm never going to go anywhere. I'm always going to live here. I'm always going to do this because I'm not brave enough to travel by myself. So come on, Katie, you can do this. But I do think that one thing that I, I have always kept alive and that actually fuels everything that I do is a general curiosity about people in the world. And that makes me feel like, no, there are adventures to come. As long as you're open to it, things are going to happen. Amen. I know. I just sounded like I was a preacher there. By the way, does everybody know that I'm a daughter of a minister? That was my moment on my uh, soapbox at the pulpit. Keep your curiosity alive. Do it. I think your dad is probably very proud of you. All right. Well, should we leave it there? I always love when I leave on like a profound note, but that wasn't really that profound. <laughs> I think it was. Was it? I think it was. Don't sell yourself short, Sewell. All right. I'll try not to. Same for you. And I guess we'll leave it there and we will come back to more of your letters. And if you want to write to us about the signs that you've received telling you to do one thing or another, I think it's interesting that you find them sort of all around you in little places. I usually get like the clang over the head, like with the symbol when I finally decide on something. I can't wait to hear about it. Yes. I can't wait to record that episode. Yeah. I spend half of my time just waiting for that one clang. So... <laughs> We can talk about that. So in the meantime, send us your emails, tweet us, go to Facebook, all those things. If you can't remember how to do any of those things, visit bittersweetlife.net and you can find all that information there. And until next time, thanks for all the letters, everybody. And I still have more here, so we'll have to do this again sometime. Yes, let's do that. All right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for all the ways you support us. Give us a good rating on iTunes, maybe five stars if you like the show. It will help other people discover that we exist. Thank you. You're the best. <laughs>